This episode is brought to you by Evolve Golf, makers of the number one performance golf tee. This is the Getting Better Now podcast, presented by the Golf Business Network, the show by golf professionals for golf professionals, profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career, make a lasting impact, and achieve your goals. Here's your host, PGA professional from St. David's Golf Club, Dean Candle. As young professionals working in the golf business, oftentimes our focus is on developing the set of what we call vocational skills that are specific to our industry. The teaching, playing, merchandising, and event administration skills, among the many others that our jobs require from us. But as our careers continue to evolve, success or failure can hinge on a new and different skill set. Often referred to as soft skills, they should more properly be referred to as success skills. These success skills include the ability to build and sustain relationships, developing emotional intelligence, or EQ, learning how to lead and why that matters, becoming a mentor to your team, and many others. I feel these are so important. It's why I was motivated to develop GolfProfessionalGrowth.com to dig deeper into how to develop these skills. Our guest in this episode has summarized these skills so well, I had to have him on to discuss this further. Robert Sorecci is the GM COO at the renowned Medina Country Club. You know Medina from its storied history in major championship and Ryder Cup golf, but ironically, Robert came to Medina with little to no knowledge of that history, and he's used that to his advantage. You'll hear how being a non-golf guy has allowed him to view Medina through a different lens that allows him to lead and strategize without any bias. Robert is known as an intelligent businessman, a calculated risk taker, and a mentor to many in our business. The result for Medina has been a thriving club atmosphere which is now a leader and innovator in the industry. In part one, Robert walks us through the first five of his top 10 lessons they didn't teach you in school. These lessons are universally applicable to golf professionals and general managers alike, and even if you're not in a leadership or management position yet, you'll want to take notes and know where you can begin to develop the critical success skills that will help you down the road. Here it is, part one of our conversation with Robert Sorecci. I hope you enjoy it. like to welcome Robert Sorecci to the podcast today. Robert, thank you for your time. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for uh, inviting me. So you are the first general manager that we've had on the Getting Better Now podcast, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. I've been following along with a lot of the posts that you put on LinkedIn, and I encourage anybody that's listening to hop on LinkedIn, uh, check out the content that Robert's putting out there because it really is valuable. It's not just geared towards general managers, but it's also it's geared toward anybody that works in the club or hospitality industry. So I appreciate the content you're putting out there. To ask you a couple questions about that before we jump into the subject of today's conversation, 
what exactly is your your motivation? You're obviously a busy guy, but your right. motivation to put that content out there. Uh, how does that How does that work for you? You know, the uh, the motivation was twofold. One is, I think, at some point in your career, you have to uh, give back to the industry. So that's uh, it's part of my, my, my mission, my purpose, is to improve the lives of the people that I work for and with. Uh, the other one is that my son decided uh, to follow my footsteps and is now in uh, Dylan Sarechi is a uh, University of Wisconsin Stout wanting to follow my career. And that's when I thought, hmm, uh, I, I got to write something and kind of arm him with uh, kind of what I believe are the skill sets to be successful in the private club business. So you know, I, I, I do a lot of writing for my board for the club, but I, I really wanted to take the time to write something for uh, general managers, up-and-coming professionals, with my experience as to what I believe are those lessons that they don't teach you at school, that in private clubs are, mm -hmm. are very uh, appropriate. So that's what we're going to jump into today. We're going to talk about the, as you titled it, the 10 lessons they didn't teach you in school. And this is about succeeding uh, in the club industry and at private clubs. But let's give everybody a little background uh, about your history, because it really, it, in your case, especially uh, from what I've learned about your background and your history, it's really formed the the the, the person uh, and the general manager uh, that you are today. And it has a has had a big impact on your career. So give us a little bit of background and your path to Medina. Sure. I'll give you just basically the, the background that's relevant to, I think, my style and what I believe in. Mm -hmm. And in that uh, I moved from uh, Europe, I'm from Switzerland, uh, where I lived uh, and was born in Eastern Europe. And I came to California to get my college degree in hospitality from uh, Cal Poly Pomona. Wonderful school. The whole idea was to go back to Switzerland do my apprenticeship program. Like in Europe, you just can't start working. You have to do a pretty elaborate apprenticeship program. Unfortunately for mm -hmm. me, the war broke out in uh, Yugoslavia, and I, I was stuck for the better, for the lack of a better word in the U.S., and I had no experience. Remember, I don't come from a – my parents are not in the restaurant business. I don't know anything about the hospitality because I was going to get trained in a hotel in Switzerland. So here I am, and I took a club management class on my senior year, uh, from a gentleman called Greg Patterson, who is now um, retired, but got me excited about the club business. And here I am, I got my first job, uh, what, three, six months out of school in private clubs with no formal training in culinary beverage or anything else. And of course, I was trying to get up to climb, climb the ladder as quickly as I can. And then within like two and a half years of college, I became a GM. And I'm 25 years old and I'm a general manager of a small <laughs> yacht club. And because, again, I thought, you know what, the, the goal is to be the youngest, to make money, to be a CCM, all that good stuff. And I did that for four years, and I quickly realized that, uh, as my dad put it, I was running the wrong race. So uh, I had to step back, learn, get educated. But because of that, this background of where I don't have this kind of skill set through either golf or uh, culinary or food or beverage, I basically had to rely disproportionately on the people I'm surrounded by to make me and the club successful. So I'm in a unique position in that I don't have a very a craft that uh, you, like your listeners are, you know, have a craft of being called professionals, chefs. Mm -hmm. I don't have that. So I have to rely on other folks uh, to help me succeed and make the club successful. But I too have to bring something to the table. And that is basically leadership skills, people skills, 
uh, providing mentoring, and we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. So it is an interesting perspective. You're, as you said, you're not a golfer. You didn't come up through this business, but here you are at Medina. Correct. And you know, so a lot of this we're going to cover when we get into these skills, these skills or these things that that you feel are are critical to succeeding. Let's just jump right in. So when we're looking at these, the first one that you point out is understanding the difference between passion and purpose. I think that especially on our end, meaning the golf professionals, we all have a passion for golf. But is that enough to, for us to succeed? No. And, and just let me preface that all of these things are not just unique to golf professionals, by the way. Yeah. Club managers, chefs, superintendents who want to climb the ladder, I think we all face the same issues. So it doesn't mean that people that come through one side of the business are any better equipped. There are certain things that you guys are better equipped than others, but in general, these are applicable to everyone. So the passion mm -hmm. one is interesting because you hear that a lot, especially from individuals that have a craft, chefs or golf pros, and they say, I'm passionate about the golf business. I'm passionate about this. And the challenge with that is, is that passion alone is not going to be enough to get you to be successful in this industry. Because once you get in the club industry and you realize how demanding it is, how difficult it is, how challenging it is, it's going to take a lot more than passion to get you through that. I mean, I see my dog, uh, Golden Retriever, is very passionate and he loves to play <laughs> ball. But that doesn't last. About an hour and a half in, uh, the passion goes away. And the other thing with passion, with uh, folks that are really passionate, is uh, more often than not, they feel like the employer or the employer owes them to fulfill their passion, right? Uh, that's mm -hmm. not kind of how it works, right? Your employer's job is not to fulfill your passion, right? You're there to fulfill a job for your employer. Uh, so that's the challenge with people that are, are very passionate. They need to focus more on purpose, right? What is your purpose? Mm -hmm. Clearly, it may involve golf uh, and the game of golf, but you got to figure out what is your purpose. Because if you identify your purpose, no amount of challenge, no uh, no um, a difficulty is going to kind of knock you off and uh, and demotivate you. Um, passion will. Passion will fizzle away things once things get a little hard. Do you think? Younger people in our industry can find a purpose early on. I think that's probably pretty unique, wouldn't you think? That it, as opposed to having more experience and seeing more things before you can kind of zero in on what your purpose truly is. Uh, absolutely, but uh, I don't think you you may not be able to find your purpose immediately. But I think the time that you allocate to think and to kind of question who you are, what you believe in. That's the, the part I don't think people spend enough time. I, I'm sure golf professionals will spend probably hours and hours researching drivers. But I wonder mm -hmm. how many will sit down and kind of do a self-reflection on identifying their strengths, identifying what they believe in, their value system, their core beliefs. So uh, it won't hit you all at once, but you need to, to start the journey of making yourself question uh, what you believe in, what do you value, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I know Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why, is a, is a great place for people to look if they're trying to, to, to really find their, their true purpose or what inspires them. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with that book as well. Of course. I encourage anybody. Yeah. So we go from 
the difference to, between passion and purpose. Moving on to our next lesson, which is about knowing what you don't know. You know, so, mm -hmm. it is. It's, uh, it's uh, especially when you come out, whether you come out of college, I mean, you, you have enough knowledge uh, just to be dangerous. And uh, not only is it applicable to just young pros coming out, uh, but it also is very, very important for the directors of golf or professionals that go from one club into the other. And they think, they believe that the, what was applicable and what they knew at their other place, at their other club, is basically will transfer to the new club. And you can't make that assumption, right? There's so much you don't know about your new employer uh, mm -hmm. that you have yet to learn. And when you make those assumptions, you make very, very big mistakes. You come across as arrogant uh, and you come across as a know-it-all. Uh, especially in a new organization. Um, and if you're transitioning from a director of golf or a pro into a GM role, boy, um, it's going to be even harder for a transition because, I mean, think about it. If you're at a golf pro, your entire career was built on you knowing, you being the guy to teach, right? They came to you mm -hmm. for answers. Now you're sitting in a chair and you have to kind of bite your tongue, hold back, and maybe say things like, you know what? I honestly don't know. I need help. And it's it's a it's a very difficult transition for many. Right. It, it being able to say that I'm not sure, I don't know, that can be a struggle because you want to look like the go-to guy, right? As, and Correct. then especially if you add that in that you're at a new club. I remember this experience in starting the position that I'm in now. And you, you come in and you see things happening and you think, oh, well, we can change that and we need to do something about that. And, you know, a little while after that, I realized, you know, I'm not the smartest guy that's ever walked it through these doors before. And there's a reason why this is happening the way it is. And the reason why that's happening the way it is, even if it needs to be changed, you need that, that information of why things are happening, right? Okay. And if you're going to make some change. And, you know, the problem with, I think your challenge for you folks will be probably in that you guys are, are revered as golf professionals. And. You know, the members look to you to teach them skills, and they, they put you kind of on a pedestal, right? I mean, it's an incredible position to be in because they look to you to teach them something. That doesn't happen with pretty much other folks, right? Chefs have that luxury. Wine sommeliers, mm -hmm. they go to you. Once you become a general manager, uh, they're not going to go to you to learn something. I mean, think about that. What are they going to learn from the GM? So once you become right. the GM, you have to kind of take a step back because now it's an entirely different ballgame. Is that a struggle? I think with four general managers, and, and we could probably do a whole other episode about the relationship between the general manager and the golf professional, but uh, I, you know, for, for general managers that maybe are, are struggling or end up being power hungry, is it because there aren't those tangible results all the time that, that people can see that your members can see and and feel good about what you're doing and and sometimes what i've seen as a general manager feels like they need to exert power in order to create that influence uh it is and a lot of it has to do with how they perceive how general managers perceive the role they play and the value that they add uh you know if if you want to get recognition uh as the general manager Clubs are probably not the way to go, right? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to have recognition 
by people giving you accolades and tapping you on the back and giving you praises, um, it's going to become very, very depressing and very uh, frustrating quickly. I think you have to change the lens by which you measure how effective and successful you are. The higher you climb, the less likelihood you're going to get uh, a lot of recognition. I tell mm -hmm. my team or my job is like Moses. I take the membership to a destination that I will personally never enjoy. It's not about me, right. right? It's about the membership and everybody else, them getting the recognition. Because as the GM, I'm not, a, I should not be interested in who gets credit for anything. As the GM, even as a director of golf, your job should be focused on getting your agenda and your program received. It shouldn't matter who gets the credit, but many of us get hung up on that. And we mm -hmm. want credit for this. It's my program. I design. It really doesn't matter. Your job is right. to improve, improve programs, improve the club, improve their lives. It's not about you. So it's a tough transition for, for many. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll get into that a little bit later sure. in, a, in another one of these points. I hope that you're enjoying this conversation. Before we continue, let's pause for a brief word from our sponsor, Evolve Golf. Evolve Golf produces superior golf products that are better for the golfer, the golf course, and the planet. In 2004, Evolve reimagined the design of the golf tee when it introduced the Epoch. The Epoch tee is more durable than wood. One Epoch per round is equivalent to playing six wood tees. Today, the Epoch is played by hundreds of tour players and PGA professionals and can be found at more than 1,000 golf shops across the country. In keeping with its mission, Evolve recently introduced Project Goodwoods, a line of birch and bamboo golf tees sold exclusively to Greengrass facilities with a portion of the proceeds going to the Arbor Day Foundation. While a tee company at its core, Evolve Golf has expanded its product line to offer high-quality ball markers, divot repair tools, hand-forged metals, and motion wool performance socks. With its state-of-the-art production facility, Evolve Golf, also offers complete customization for all of its products. To learn more about Evolve Golf, go to evolvegolf.com. That's evolvegolf.com. Now back to this episode. Next, we're, we're talking about the difference between problems and symptoms. And I'm interested in this one because I'm curious to know how you see the difference between a problem and a symptom and, and how we address them. And um, if you're in the, in the private club industry, this is, uh, uh, you, you've heard it, right? I mean, uh, whether in food and beverage, the, the fries are cold, we got a problem. Uh, the mm -hmm. greens are slow, we got a problem. Um, uh, slow play, we got a problem. Uh, we got to mm -hmm. fix the problem. Well, all of these things are not actual problems. They're symptoms of a bigger problem. And what happens, most of us are trained to just jump on and fixing it before sitting back, identifying what truly is a symptom and is a problem. Slow mm -hmm. greens um, are not a problem, right? It's a symptom of the condition of the turf and how it's taken care of, the height of the turf. Um, slow play, right? This is not a problem. It could be because the tee time allocation, the issues with walkers or fivesomes or sixsomes. So identifying what are problems and symptoms is imperative because I think most of us know club uh, committees are not very good at it either, right? So if you ever interviewed for a job as a director of golf or a GM in clubs, most often than not, they'll give you a list 
of what they consider to be problems they want you to fix. And right. 90% of those problems are not actual problems, right? So you can't mm -hmm. just jump and fix problems just because they told you. Uh, what you have to do is sit back and demonstrate that you have the ability to kind of discern the difference between one and the other. And it's a wonderful opportunity to educate your golf committee or your board that you know the difference and you educate them that this is truly what the problem is. This is the root problem and here's all the symptoms and here's how we're going to address those. And it's one of the first things you can do to demonstrate that you think differently uh, than most. Mm -hmm. So putting out fires, or rather than just putting out fires, finding out how it started and why those fires started, right? Yeah. Well, so for example, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a good example, right? I mean, you, you, I've mm -hmm. yet to interview at a club that said, uh, you know what? Our golf staff or our, our starters are not very good or our, you know, our service is not that good or it's always a, a people problem. In my experience, usually what they think is a people problem is more often than not a process problem. So it's not a people problem. Mm -hmm. You just don't have the right processes in place to make sure mm -hmm. they're successful. So you can't, but most of us jump on the people and we address the people problem. It rarely, rarely is. It, it's mostly even a culture problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, people think it's a training problem. Yeah, I found out in my experience that we'll see, people don't typically need uh, um, uh, motivation. Uh, what they need is direction, right? So everybody's kind of stuck wondering what to do. They're not very productive. And you, you think they need motivation. They don't. They simply need a destination postcard to know where do you want them to go, right? Help them get there. Motivation has nothing to do with it. They're motivated. They just don't know where to go. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the benefit of kind of sitting back and identifying uh, root problems versus uh, symptoms. So would that come down to leadership, though? I mean, many times it, in that example? It, it is. It absolutely yeah. is. Uh, you know, leadership is really about you know, solving problems. When they hire you as a director of golf or as a general manager, right? They want you to solve certain problems. They want you to add value to the organization. But if you've been the director of golf and you've been all with a, with a golf club in your hand, you have to put a different mindset, right? So as a leader, mm -hmm. you have to think completely, look at everything differently that you've done in the past. And that's what a leader does, a different perspective that has insights. Mm hmm. Perfect. I, and I don't think leadership is taught enough, uh, especially on the PGA side. I know it's it's more of a focus on on your side of the business, but it's really it's a critical factor in, in being successful. But moving on to uh, what you call leading and managing and, and leading in a world of gray and that clubs <laughs> are a world of gray. Well, so so what do you mean by that? What, what, well, I mean, again, your audience uh, comes uh, in the private club business, and we know that in private clubs, um, we have rules, right? But it, it really mm -hmm. depends on who it is and how long it's been a member. We make certain exceptions. <laughs> One of the most challenging things. No, we don't. We about, don't do that. <laughs> well, at least not officially, right? <laughs> right. But, and that's the challenge with private clubs, right? People that are used to working with in a very structured environment where there's rules, Clubs are not. Clubs are a world, a world of gray. And what most of us try to do is to manage that gray area. And we get so frustrated because things are not the way they should be or the way it's in the rules or in the bylaws. 
And what we do is we have a big uh, gray area and then we have white and black on either side. And for most people, uh, especially the ones if they come from a uh, finance background, uh, maybe superintendents, for club professionals, it shouldn't be that big of a deal because you guys are so member-facing. You guys kind of live and breathe in this, so you kind of get it. Chances are mm -hmm. some of your friends probably get mad at you uh, because you do get it and they don't. My suggestion or my concern with golf pros and directors of golf is that, if anything, you guys run the risk of going overboard. Because yeah. you work in the world of gray, I've always <laughs> uh, counseled my directors of golf and pros to be very careful uh, that you don't go to the black or the white overboard. And that's when things can get a little tricky. So it's the opposite problem for golf professionals. So I think a lot of us try to try to hope that we could be in that black and white where I know I've had this mentality before where, oh, no, I'm just going to do this by the book because it it protects me. Right. I'm going to I'm going to just follow the rules and I'm always going to enforce this rule, that rule, uh, because it's going to protect me. I can always go back to the rules and say, well, this is this is the policy, whatever. But right. are, are you saying that so in your mind, it's OK to and I guess necessary to be in that gray area because that black and white isn't going to, you can't sustain it. Well, so I'll give an example. So if you've been hired as a director of golf to solve mm -hmm. a certain problem, right? A certain challenge that the club has. And let's assume it's um, maybe growing the game. Membership is, is dwindling, whatever the problem, the challenge mm -hmm. is, right? So what, when you get into your, your new uh, club and you start looking at these things that people are not putting pencils when the cards like they should be they're not the towels aren't right the, and you have this litany of things that are not done like they should be right it's very tempting to start going down the path of how things should be and how people don't follow policies when you take a step back you have to remind yourself is that kind of why you are hired is that the number one priority that you have to solve so you have to understand that there's certain things that will not be done according to policy or the rule book and that's mm -hmm. okay, given your club culture. Most clubs are not mm -hmm. that rigid. Some clubs are. But if your club's not very rigid, and there's evidence to support the theory that, look, we don't follow all the rules, even though they're written, we don't follow them, don't fight that fight just yet, right? It's mm -hmm. not worth fighting. So every club's gray is a little different, but just find comfort in it and focus on why you were hired and why were you there? Uh, why did they hire you? And what challenge are you there to solve? And that leads right into the next one, which is understanding how your club keeps score. So if you don't know, one, what those expectations are and how they're going to score you, I, I imagine that, that that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, it, it is. Uh, and again, this applies to both uh, pros and, and uh, you know, front of the house folks. Every club is different. Every club is different. While one club expects their golf professional to be out and about, and shake hands and play, you know, two rounds a day. Um, mm -hmm. There's there's clubs out there that uh, they want the pro to be more of a business a person who is they don't want to be playing a lot because he brings a different value to the club. It's no different than for me as the GM or any of my team members is that you have to figure out how does your club, if you're an assistant pro or the director of golf, how does your boss? Uh, your GM and your board members, how do they keep score, right? What is valued? 
what do they value? Visibility may be good for one club, not for another. Uh, being, um, uh, being a great merchandiser might be a good uh, score for one club. The other club says, no, that's not something that's important to us. Understanding how your clubs keep score is imperative so you keep working and demonstrating value within that scorecard and not working really hard only to find out that's not something they valued or care about. So, and this could change too, as we spend more time at a club and boards turn over, right? Oh, uh, absolutely. And especially when your position yeah. changes and as you climb mm -hmm. up the ladder. So I know that you I've heard you speak before and write about your your meetings with a new president when they come on board regular meetings with the president are you in uh and board members is this part of what you're doing in that orientation or that meeting with the new president is finding out how they're going to keep score or informing mm -hmm. them about how things were kept score of previously Yes absolutely uh not only yeah. do I not only do I do it for me but one of the things that I do for my team, I have uh, nine uh, direct reports. I help them. Part of my job is to make sure they're successful. And that's what I do. I mean, I set, I set the destination. I clear the path for my team and I let them do their job. And then I work with them and help them for them to be successful. The first thing I have to figure out is to help them understand how Medina keeps score, right? And that's what I help them with, to make sure that they work really hard on those things that are important to Medina. I do that because I ask the board, I communicate with the membership, um, I ask my president, and we go through this in detail to ensure that how they evaluate me as the GM is consistent with how I perceive my, my role should be. And we have metrics. I create a balanced scorecard for me and my team in that it's a, a balanced scorecard approach is that we keep attention, we, me we measure member satisfaction, staff satisfaction, financial results, and goals and objectives. And we weigh it a certain way depending on what we want to focus on. But that's one way to ensure that we all work very hard and we measure success the right way so there's no uh, misunderstanding or confusion. How are you measuring member satisfaction in it and how often are you doing it? So member satisfaction is measured by the different metrics. We have our, our uh, membership survey. Right, we have uh, uh, surveys we do following certain tournaments. Mm -hmm. uh, we have common cards, guest cards, uh, and all of those are measurable. We also rounds, right? Increase in rounds, guest rounds, member yeah. rounds. Mm -hmm. So we pick metrics uh, that are quantifiable and measurable. So we don't, so we don't get into this circular argument with a committee chair that says, you know what? I don't know. I don't think the golf department is doing that well. I don't know. I don't think the, or I don't think the golf department is doing it. Well, there, this is not an emotional thing. It is metrics. So for each one of those staff satisfaction, that's a big one for us. That accounts for 20% of my team's bonuses, including mine. And, really? uh, and we have uh, 360s that we perform on every team member, 360s, uh, anonymous mm -hmm. for, uh, we do staff surveys, uh, anonymous for the entire uh, club. And we call out, we call out the director of golf, the GM, superintendent, uh, the assistant GM. We call them out both in the member survey and in the, the employee survey to, to tell us uh, their perception of how effective they are. Uh, we, again, we call them out, including me. So there's no like golf mm -hmm. management. How does management or how does 
administration. It doesn't say that. It says the director of golf, which is Marty D'Angelo, uh, superintendent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, Steve Cook, uh, Robert Sarecha, GM. And you will know exactly, Marty knows exactly uh, what members think of him and how they perceive him in terms of visibility, recognition of names, uh, how quickly he addresses members' concerns. And you know what? He scores extremely high. So there's mm-hmm. no disputing that uh, Marty doesn't get back to folks or Marty does not understand membership relations. His scores demonstrate clearly that he, his high scores clearly demonstrate that he knows exactly what he's doing. And really, the good thing is that even in the case, if they weren't as high as they are, which is great for, for Marty, that you would know right away, right? And you'd have something uh, tangible that you can use to say, okay, we need to improve this, or I need to improve that. Correct. There's, there's not enough of that happening at a club. And I think you see that when people uh, kind of get blindsided when they lose their job. Well, I thought everything was fine. Or, uh, you know, no, nobody told me that they weren't happy with, with X or Y. Or uh, with employees as late. well, though, Dean. With yeah. employees as well. I mean, you know, we do 360s. We do, you know, again, yeah. we, call, we call the leadership team out. And, you know, at first the team wasn't too thrilled to do it. But you know what? We all have blind spots. And we're mm-hmm. accountable to our team. And then once you, at the first time, it's hard to read these comments. But you know what? Every one of my team members, including me, have improved on our scores year after year. Because we armed with this information, with the help of our HR director, we develop plans of how do we improve our scores? How do we, what strategies do we take to improve those scores? Not everything, because you just can't tell your manager, say, you know what, you got to work harder at this relationship thing, or you mm-hmm. got to try harder work. What, what does that even mean? See, yeah. with these metrics, we know exactly, we know exactly uh, what we need to do to improve, uh, to improve our leadership uh, skills. It can be scary doing one of those 360s if you've never done one. Either you people may just avoid it or can't see the importance of that and how you know facing up to what your blind spots or your weaknesses truly are can really can really be a uh, you know a catapult to helping you get so much better at your job. But you have to ask for that feedback. Well, it's tough. That, that's why they don't. I mean, I'm, I don't know how many people or clubs you know that do this, but. There's, that's the reason why many organizations do not do mm-hmm. not perform 360s. They're painful. Yeah. yeah. I had my first one. Uh, I, I can say after nine years in this position or eight years in this position, I finally did a formal one where I was going to get some some true anonymous feedback. And I was it was it was painful to see some of it. <laughs> but uh, as I, you know, because. Uh, you know what you feel inside, you know what you want to be doing or what you want to be, how you want to be perceived and to, to find out or see that that's not happening to the level that you thought uh, can be painful, but it really, like I said, it's a springboard to getting better and, and you need the information to know. Correct. So, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Robert. Make sure to stay tuned for part two when we go through lessons number six through 10. And if you could take a second to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we truly appreciate it. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.